Pittsburgh Steelers fans, welcome to this week's episode of Steelers War Room. I'm Matt Pebble, your host of this weekly show that takes you through the minds of Kevin Colbert, Mike Tomlin, Omar Khan, as they look to put together a roster, a Pittsburgh Steelers roster, that will take the team to that seventh Lombardi, that will set them up for that successful chase, that really, you know, the Steelers fans, feels like it's beginning to drag on since our sixth Super Bowl win. You know, we're almost 11 seasons removed from that. If you're like me, you're getting hungry. You're getting really hungry for another Super Bowl, even a Super Bowl appearance, even an AFC championship game. Um, but if you're going to make it to the AFC championship game, of course, you you know, you want to go all the way. Look, for several of these war rooms, you know, which started out as cap rooms, you know, we looked at the first few cap rooms. Obviously, we were looking at, you know, how much cap the Steelers had in the offseason, you know, um, you know, free agents they were different they were going to bring in and the free agents we were going to lose and what that meant for the draft and, and all those sorts of things. So then we transitioned as we led into the draft to being a lot more of a show focused on the draft picks. And, you know, that was in the leading profiling players. And we had a couple that we previewed, guys like Pat Freemuth, guys like Kendrick Green, who we've talked about. And then since the draft, we've talked a little bit about those draft picks as well, you know, and what they might mean for the Steelers. We've made some comparisons, you know, throughout the AFC North and what have you. I thought I'd take a pause with that because I would like to do, you know, a little bit more um, around that AFC North and comparing some of the draft picks and what have you, but I'm looking to put together some of that content for the next few war rooms. So stay tuned for that. But to kick off this week's show um, and, you know, to sort of take care of a lot of this week's show, I wanted to really focus in on some free agents that are still available. Now, a few of these last few weeks, we've given, you know, we've given a highlight of, some of the players available at key positions and what have you. But this week, I really wanted to look at the pass rushes or those edge rushes that might be available for the Pittsburgh Steelers, particularly more the veteran players and so the more high end. So we know that we've got guys like, you know, TJ Watt and obviously, you know, superstar and, you know, maybe if I haven't been our best player on the team, you know, we've got Alex Highsmith going into his second year, you know, we've got Quincy Roche who we got in the draft who could have been in anywhere upwards of a third round pick and we got him in the six and, you know, people fall for a reason. Um, but at the same time, I really like the idea of Quincy Roche. He was the number one that we previewed um, here on Steel's War Room. So, you know, great to see him, you know, make the team and, I, and I've got really high hopes for him. But at the same time, the Steelers need proven players. You know, we've got a num- we've got a really nice mix of veterans and younger players, um, you know, coming through this Pittsburgh Steelers roster. And it, when it comes to the pass rush, when it comes to the edge rush, when it comes to the outside linebackers, that needs to continue. Obviously, we play a 3-4, so we look for bigger outside linebackers when we're talking about those edge rushes. And that's really what I want to focus on today. I, I want to focus on five players that are still available, five reputable players that have done, you know, awesome things in the NFL, you know, in, the, in their careers to date, had some varying 2020 performances as well. So we'll go through their 2020 performance and we'll go through, you know, their career to date performance as well. But I thought I'd just give a quick update uh, in terms of the cap. So currently, and remember, we're only calculating over the cap does the top 51 players. Uh, so there's the displacement, which is the gap between that and the top 53, which, you know, make up that salary cap, plus practice squads, what have you. But with the top, you know, 51 cutoff right now, the Steelers technically still have 9.2 million in cap space. Now, if we take to the 50, 
you know, to the 53 man, you know, roster there, you know, there's going to be, they're all sort of hovering around that $780,000 mark. So you can kind of take 2.1 million off that. So you can roughly say the Steelers have got about 7 million there. There's a couple of contracts that can still work. Um, David Schofield's talked a lot about Stefan Tuitt. Um, you know, this offseason, our deputy editor, uh, sorry, our co-editor there, you know, and the thing with Tuitt is that he's under the old CBA and there's the extra game. So his money will come from a different pool. But what does that look like? That's a whole challenge as well when you talk about future years, if you were to extend him, what have you. Chris Boswell's another one. Again, do we really want to extend that from that element right now? I'd be keen to, but, you know, the saving there is not particularly, you know, huge that you can sort of, you know, you play around with that, um, you know, f- from that perspective, given, you know, where his base salary is sitting and then having to extend that out. So there's limited work to be done there. But let's just assume the Steelers are going to have roughly, you know, around that, you know, 5 million mark with different changes that they can make equally. There's some cuts, you know, do we do we think that a Joe Haig is definitely making the roster? Maybe he will, maybe he won't. You know, Cameron Canada, I've said throughout the offseason, is he someone we can cut and find a cheaper long snapper? You know, Jalen Samuels, I think he works within a Matt Canada offense, but do the Steelers think that? Cassius Marsh, he's another guy that you could take almost a million off the cap. And if we're looking at sign, signing one of the players that we're going to talk through now, you know, you can go away and do that. Trey, Edmund, Trey Edmonds, Ulysses Gilbert, they're all guys you could sort of find a couple hundred thousand dollars with here and there versus, you know, other guys that might be cheaper on your on your on the roster right now that are outside that 51. Uh, Zach Gentry is another one of those players. Justin Lane's another one of those players as well. You know, he's on a rookie deal, so he'll probably survive. Chris Wormley, the same thing there. You know, the, you're only going to lose 400 grand. You can sort of you know, find 1.2 million by um, bringing him in. So, you know, sorry, it's the other way around. We'd, we'd eat 1.2 million and at least gain 400,000. So that's not going to be that beneficial for us. Um, Chooks, we don't really have tackle depth. I don't think they're going to cut him, but you know, if you really wanted to, you could, uh, and you know, create some some cap space there. Same thing here with you know, you're not going to really touch Eric Ebron. That's not going to deliver anything for you. So, you know, you might trade James Washington. I don't think they'll do that. I think they want to go in and give Ben as many weapons as possible. So, with that being the, with that being said, with that being the case, let's look at some of these pass rushes. So, who did I pick? So. I want the people I wanted to look at were Melvin Ingram, Justin Houston, Olivier Vernon, Everson Griffin, and John Simon. Now, if you think about that, there's some players there that are, you know, they're pretty hard to out of pay to players. You've got guys that are a bit older and Everson Griffin, um, Justin Houston. You've also got guys like John Simon, who's a very vastly different player that you might be sort of sitting there from a numbers perspective, given that where his you know average pay per year contract has been, which is a bit a bit bit different to some of the other guys in that space. The other thing to note is that you know all these guys are 31 plus. Um, so they're coming toward the end of their careers the last couple of years potentially there. But we know that the the success the Steelers have had in bringing in those older edge rushers. We know the success of different edge rushers you know, in the NFL as well. But, you know, once they get beyond 30, there's guys that have had, you know, almost half this the sacks they've got in their career. And, you know, there's some of the sack leaders. So it'll be interesting to see from that perspective whether these guys continue doing it. But let's just assume that they're actually viable candidates. So 
of these, let's we'll go through the 2020 stats of all these players and we'll come out with a leader leader there or you know who who's at the top of that. And then we'll look at the career to date as well, because obviously success is more than just one year. So in 2020, Melbourne Ingram um, had an average pay per year contract of 16 million according to over the cap. Um, and according to Pro Football Reference, he played 35% of the snaps, recording zero sacks, 10 tackles. 12 quarterback pressures, zero tackles for a loss, and five quarterback hits. Now, I believe that was off seven games as well. And then Justin Houston. So he was roughly an average pay per year of 11.5 million. He played 59% of the snaps, eight sacks, eight tackles for a loss, one force fumble, 12 quarterback hits, two safeties, 25 tackles, 25 pressures. He played, yeah, so 59% of the snaps there in Indianapolis. And then Olivier Vernon, who we know played for the Cleveland Browns, did his Achilles, is now available in the open market. Really sad for him because I think he'd really actually earned a new deal. And, you know, I'd love to sort of see him in the black and gold going after Baker, you know, going after the Browns there. He had an average pay per year salary of 11 million. He played 75% of the snaps, but nine sacks, one forced fumble, three pass defenses, 36 tackles, 12 tackles for a loss, and 16 quarterback hits. Everson Griffin. He earned six million, um, you know, playing for Dallas, and I think it was in Minnesota. And he there had, uh, sorry, the Lions and um, and the Cowboys, I should say. He had six sacks, four pass defense, thirty three tackles, seven tackles for a loss, twenty three pressures, and fourteen quarterback hits. And then John Simon, who had an average pay per year of two million on his most recent contract. He played the highest snaps of his career last year at 69%. Uh, and, you know, he, that's interesting for him in the, in the Patriots there. He had two sacks, 53 tackles, four tackles for a loss, four quarterback hits and 13 pressures. So when we look at that, you're probably sitting there saying either Justin Houston or Olivier Vernon led that group, particularly if you look at two safeties from Justin Houston, you know, when it comes to Olivier Vernon, um, you know, he's got an extra sack, you know, more quarterback hits. Um, I was never to pull up the pressures for him. You know, there's a few more pass defenses. So, you know, they've both got one force fumble. So they're pr- they're pretty equal there. But, I mean, for me, I'd go Olivier Vernon. I like the idea of 75% of the snaps. Also, I think whilst he's the same age as some of these guys, I think he plays as if he's a bit younger. And I just think why not bring him back in that AFC North and put some pressure on perhaps, you know, there's not too far for him to travel there. Perhaps that's one where he's come back off that Achilles. Can you get him a bit cheaper? I think you can. So therefore, I think we've got some leaders there in Olivia Vernon and, you know, and Justin Houston. Then if we look at it from the perspective of some guys um, these guys, you know, from their career to date. So Melbourne Ingram, 49 sacks, 360 tackles, 28 pass defenses, 14 force fumbles, 70 tackles for a loss, and 108 quarterback hits. Wow, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. Justin Houston, 97.5 sacks, 451 tackles, 118 tackles for a loss, 148 quarterback hits, four interceptions, four safeties, and 32 pass defense. Olivier Vernon, five pass defense, nine force fumbles, uh, 63.5 sacks, 389 tackles, 87 tackles for a loss, 157 quarterback hits, and one safety. Everson Griffin, 80.5 sacks, 93 tackles for a loss, 
nine forced fumbles, 20 pass defenses, 388 tackles, and 190 quarterback hits. Now, Everson Griffin, we should say, is the oldest of the bunch. Um, at 34, he's had the most seasons in the league. And then John Simon, 11 pass defense, two forced fumbles, 21 sacks, 277 tackles, 225 tackles for a loss, and 53 quarterback hits. So, again, you know, the reason I wanted to put John Simon is I think he could be an interesting one for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, but as you can see, his numbers and obviously the, the pay packet that reflects that, because we know how well the, those edge rushers get paid, you know, he, you know, he's a bit of a different ball game. So if you're going to leave him out potentially, you know, and rightly so if, if you want to, um, you know, as he's had eight seasons so far in the league, again, you're looking at Justin Houston, you're looking at Olivier Vernon, you're looking at Everson Griffin, but you can sort of see Olivier Vernon, you know, he's sort of coming into his own to a degree, you know, this in this latter part of his career. The question with Everson Griffin at 34 is what are you going to get out of him? Melvin Ingram's had some injuries. You know, whether he's the right fit for the Steelers, I'd, I'd question that. Um, I can see him doing a bit more, you know, a 4-3 at the moment. So it's really a Justin Houston who I know my, you know, one of my colleagues at BTSC, Michael Beck's talked about a lot. You sort of sit there and you sort of think, well, you're, it probably is Justin Houston or again, Olivier Vernon. So if we compare these two players, you know, there's about a hundred or so gap in, you know, solo tackles. There's, you know, a 30 gap sack, um, sack gap between Olivier Vernon and Justin Houston. Now remember Justin Houston's had a whole extra season and, you know, he's played seven more, but he's played seven more games. There's 34 sack differences. Justin Houston always has double the fumbles of Olivier Vernon. He has four to one interceptions. So when you when you look at that perspective, I, I guess in terms of the games they've played as well, you know, Justin Houston averages 0.7 sacks per game, Olivier Vernon 0.5. They average the same number of false fumbles per game, uh, you know, Intercessions you can't really even do. So, you know, it's interesting there. You also go to playoff totals too. So in terms of what they've been able to do in the playoffs, um, you know, nine quarterback hits from Justin Houston. You know, Olivier Vernon's only played one game in the playoffs back in 2016, um, you know, whereas Justin Houston's played eight games there. You know, so you've got to sort of sit there and you go, Justin, Justin Houston's a more experienced one, but does Olivier Vernon have a bit more on his legs? And I think that's going to be the really key question if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers and you're thinking, hey, who can I bring in that's this experience, you know, edge rusher that's going to deliver something? Who's going to be that third, third bloke? But equally, you need a bit of cap to do a few things. You also, you know, you want to let, you know, Roche and Highsmith work together and develop. But for the me... I'd be open to them bringing in one of these guys, any one of the five, really. I, I mean, I'd, I'd prefer Everson Griffin to probably be out of that mix unless it comes down to a mon- monetary thing. I think John Simon's got a bit more in the tank, um, you know, even though he does not necessarily as proven. But if you think, really, Cassius Marsh, the Pokemon King, or the Pokemon King, as Jeff likes to call him with the accents, um, you know, if we really think he's the one that's going to be able to make that difference, I think we better get realistic. He's not going to be that difference. You know, we saw what having a, you know, a guy like Chicolo in that rotation did. It wasn't helpful. You know, Jaron Allen, you know, did nothing. You know, Denier did nothing. We let him go. So 
I really think it's time for the Pittsburgh Steelers to invest in a veteran here that can take that pressure off TJ Watt. You know, we want TJ Watt playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers for a long time. We want to fit TJ Watt in through 17 games, through a deep playoff run. We're going to need to get that pass rush. So here's five pass rushes. You've got their 2020 performances. We know they're led sort of by Justin Houston, Olivier Vernon there. We know those two as well when it comes to career numbers are sort of leading that way as well. If you can't consider that Everson Griffin's had a few more seasons in the league. These are things for the Pittsburgh Steelers to consider as part of that forum, as part of them building that squad, going through OTAs and, you know, into, you know, training camp as well. But what they do, we'll have to see. Join us for part two. I'm going to look at a couple of one of the at least one of the undrafted rookies that we brought in, and also some interesting stats on sort of how the Steelers have gone with you know rookies in the roster as well. Stay tuned for that. We're back on Steelers War Room. I'm Matt Peverell, your host of this weekly show, the show that puts you in the Steelers War Room, the show that gets you thinking, drafts, that gets you thinking, free agents, that gets you thinking, re-signings, cap, contracts, the works. So before we kick off a couple of little previews about some undrafted free agents that the Steelers brought in, uh, I wanted to sort of look at how many players are left from the Steelers' recent decade of drafts? Now, you've probably seen there going on my and already know this. You may have heard it covered in previous articles or even through one of my fellow BTSC podcaster shows. But I thought it's a nice reminder now that we've signed all the rookies, now that we're through rookie minicamp, and now that we're heading into the OTAs, where I think there was something like 75 players already involved in those. I'm just sort of thinking, who's left? So, you look at the 2020 draft class, all six of our picks there. Still on the roster. 2019, seven of our nine, you know, picks are still on the roster. In fact, I think Derwin Gray, Derwin Gray may still be on that, so it might actually be eight. We've got five guys from the 2018, uh, you know, it's draft class, which is great. We've got four out of eight from 2017, none from 2016. None from 2015. And I guess this is where you're starting to see the difference in terms of the Steelers hitting on early round picks as well. Or well, now you're starting in the territory where guys have gone past that fifth year option. 2014. Now, we've got one at the moment, but it really could have been Shazier. You know, it could, Shazier could have been in there and two. And, you know, obviously it's still so sad, you know, in terms of what happened there with Shazier. You know, you've got still those Stefan Tewitt who had his you know, career, you know, high last year of 11 sacks. Awesome player. Where's the number of the year I was born? Love Tewitt. Next one on the jersey list. So, you know, hopefully we can keep him around for a bit longer. He's one we talked about in part, you know, the first half of this show, you know, in terms of the way his contract's based and the challenge that poses in terms of restructuring that. And then the 2013 draft, you know, we've got one player there. Vince Williams picks, you know, pick numbers, you know, in the sixth round, pick 206, cut him, brought him back, 
love having Vinny Vinovici, you know, on the roster there. So really glad that he's, you know, you know, back in the game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Then obviously we go 2012 and you've got your first round pick there in David DeCastro. 2011, you've also only got one pick in Cameron Haywood. So you really look at this. It shows the difference of the Pittsburgh Steelers drafting a number one guy. You've still got Cameron Hayward on there, and the, you know from ten years ago. You still got David DeCastro. Obviously, where there's no Jarvis Jones, um, you've got you know Ryan Shays is obviously injured, but you've kept you know Stefan Tuitt in there. We lost Bud Dupree this off season after franchise tags and fifth year options. Artie Burns obviously didn't work out. We let him go. You know, so there's two of those first-round draft picks gone. Then we brought in TJ Watt. Obviously, he's still there making an awesome difference. Then Terrell Edmonds as well. Devin Bush Jr., he's coming back, I think, raring to go for a big season where he can really elevate the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then 2020, obviously, we didn't have a first-round pick, but we had Chase Claypool, who may as well have been a first-round pick. Uh, fantastic performance from him, you know, so he'll always be viewed as either, you know, awesome quality in the second, but is he really a first? Then obviously we've got Najee Harris. Najee Harris, our first round pick from this year. Interesting to see how he can prove himself this season and beyond. And, you know, when we read this out, you know, in in five seasons time, six, seven season time, is he still going to be there? And, you know, hopefully he is in seven, seven years time. You know, hopefully we're on fifth-year options then and then we can work out a two- or three-year deal and get the most out of Najee Harris before we, you know, can transition to that next feature, Steelers back. So to round out the show, I thought we'd have a look at a couple of key players. Now, one of the guys I really wanted to preview was Rico Bussey, um, you know, who's obviously it's going to be hard not to call him Bussey there. And, you know, I think he can do a lot. He's another guy that could have well been drafted from the fifth round and onwards, you know, didn't, you know, for whatever, you know, reason that different other teams thought. Really glad the Steelers were able to pick him up. However, Dave Schofield has recently written a profile of him pulling all the best from NFL.com and the Draft Network and Sports Illustrated and PFF and giving some take, put a highlights film. Posted a day ago on BehindTheSteelToCurtain.com, and we do have many, you know, the, your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers. We're the podcast side of, of BehindTheSteelToCurtain.com. I'll, I'll let you go check that article out. Uh, I know that some of our listeners, are, you know, are regular readers at BehindTheSteelToCurtain.com, so I don't want to do a double up for you there. Perhaps we'll look at him in a few weeks' time when he, when those stats might have slipped your mind, um, or there's some updates around Rico Bossy. So the player I did want to at least talk about was Mark Gilbert. You know, Mark Gilbert is a really interesting one for me. I'm interested to see what he can do. He's a smaller uh, senior, you know, cornerback coming out of Duke. You know, according to NFL.com, he showed great promise early in his career with the Blue Devils. You know, he enrolled a semester early after earning All-State honours in football his senior year at Terry Sanford High School. He was also named Cape Fear Area Basketball Player of the Year by the Fayette Observer as a junior. Duke coaches put the top 40 national cornerback prospect in the starting lineup his true freshman season, 18 tackles, two for loss, two pass breakups and 12 appearance, appearances. He became a first-team all-age double-C selection as a sophomore, trying third in the FBS for six interceptions, ranking eight with eight, 15 pass breakups. The 21 passes defense was a school record, and he also posted 35 tackles, three for a loss in 13 starts. His, then, though, he suffered a severe hip 
left hip or dislocation in the second game of 2018. He finished with four tackles in two starts and missed the rest of that season along with the 2019 campaign as he went underwent multiple surgeries. He returned to start the first two games of the 2020 season, eight tackles, one interception, but had to go back under the knife to remove loose bone fragments in his right foot. After the surgery, opted out of the rest of the year due to COVID-19 and to prepare for the draft. He's the nephew of former defensive tackle Sean Gilbert, who was the number third overall pick in 92 and played in the league for 11 years. He's also related to former NFL star cornerback Darrell Reeves, who made seven Pro Bowls in 10 NFL seasons and won a Super Bowl with New England. Now, you know, he's basically played four snaps and four games and 226 snaps over the last three seasons due to major injuries to his hip and foot that have required surgery. You know, you've pretty much got to go back to 2017 to get tape, you know, on the player that was a draftable playmaker with confidence and ball skills resulting in 21 passes defense, including six interceptions. With a lack of desired build and expanding history of durability concerns, it's highly likely that he'll have to prove himself in the undrafted free agent market. Well, he did, and he got picked up by the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, you know, according to NFL.com, strengths, outstanding high school hooper with good feet, showed off potential over the first two years at Duke, finished with six interceptions and 15 pass breakups in a stellar 2017 campaign. He's a route jumper driving into the passing lane, above average physicality for his frame, stays phased to the route down the sideline, tracks the ball well and makes plays on downfield throws, run and wrap tackler weaknesses he's going to be a 24 year old rookie obviously there's major durability issues missed most of all of 2018 2019 and 2020 with hip and foot surgeries lean frame could use more strength and mass and perhaps that's something you know from my perspective that might actually you know help him have less injuries and perhaps that's something you know what the pittsburgh Steelers staff seeing him these are guy they can get right conditioned Perhaps he can make a difference. Lingering concerns of whether he can transition his hips more. Obviously, when you've got hip, you know, surgery there, that's going to come into play. Average long speed to play catch up when trailing. Appeared to lose confidence in a very brief 2020 season. NFL.com. The draft network. They had him at 6'1", 175 pounds, so about 11 pounds smaller. Um, they say his career was off to such a promising start after a 2017 campaign where he logged 15 pass breakups and 16 perceptions, you know, as he got those honours for all ACC. He was the leading vote getter among cornerbacks in the, in the ACC balloting. He also received Duke's Willis Aldridge, Aldridge Award as the Blue Devils' top defensive back for 2017. His ball skills and coverage versatility were terrific that year, and there's plenty of buzz about his potential in the NFL, especially considering his family lineage. Following the 2017 season, obviously he had that terrible luck with injuries and has only played four games since. Uh, balancing his recent injury issues and lack of time off the on the field against when he displayed in 2017 makes him a challenging projection. No doubt that's why we went you know, undrafted. Uh, they definitely said he's an outside corner. Mark Gilbert is going to be someone that's just really difficult to judge whether he can make a Steelers roster. If you're sitting there and you're Mark Gilbert, you're probably going, all I need to do is make this roster and then I can prove myself. But is he a gem for the Steelers? Is he a player that, like a Kelvin Beecham that we got in the seventh round? Is he a player like Mike Hilton that we got undrafted? You know, he might have had a tough, you know, injury history previously, particularly in college. Even though he's 24, does he have the miles on the board? Is this a smart pickup? Is this like a James Pierre? Are these guys that we know that can, 
if they can develop or, you know, even their 50% chance of developing, become a starter, you save money. You know, and this is the thing in, the, in, in a day and age where the salary cap, you know, whilst it will go up rapidly from next season, we're in a situation this year with the Pittsburgh Steelers where we don't have a lot of cap. Is this a guy you can take a flyer on, develop, and then when we've got big deals coming up for, you know, TJ Ward and Minka Fitzpatrick and Devin Bush and, you know, is it an Alex Highsmith? Is it a Chase Claypool? Is re-signing Juju if that's what they want to do? You know, committing to it even longer than Cam's here. You need to find savings from somewhere. And that's why I'm really hopeful that Mark Gilbert can prove to develop this season for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He can prove, improve, develop, maybe be something. Keep the expectations low. Keep them about making the roster, even if it's a practice squad situation for him as well. I'd love to see how they can develop him. And then how do you bring him in and intertwine him into the rotation? I know you've got guys like Trey Norwood and Shakur Brown and what have you. But see someone toward the end of the season, you know, just like we did with Pierre last year, that we can bring into the rotation once he's become comfortable. Because if this guy can stay healthy, I really think he can make an impact. But look, that's Steelers Warren for this week. I'm Matt Perville. Join us next week. We'll definitely look to do some more AFC North draft pieces. Mark and I covered that last week on Steelers Touchdown Under. If you're not regularly attending that show, we go live. It's about 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, sorry, Eastern Time, you know, there in the U.S. Uh, it's about, we usually go live between 8 and 9 a.m. Australian time on our Sunday morning. So we come to you live from the future. We've done a lot of talking recently about those rookies at the AFC North. Mark always, you know, it's always a fun show with Mark, so stay tuned for that one this coming weekend. And then, of course, everything behind the steelcurtain.com, whether it's, you know, Dave Schofield, you know, Jeff and Bad with the preview, whether it's, you know, Tony and Bad with the hangover, whether it's Tony's own six-pack show that goes live before Steelers Touchdown Under, the live mic, the Scobro shows, the curtain call, any anything we've got on these podcast networks, listen to it all. Play catch up if you have to. There's something for everyone. And as always, go Steelers.